Let's begin. We have much to cover today. There's a handout going around. Handout going around. If you want to take notes on it, you can. It'll help you track with what we're doing. There's a lot to cover. I'm going to go pretty quick. I say you hold your questions and comments till the end. Uh, I think with what I'm covering today, when you talk to someone who believes in the gift of tongues, if you're following what I'm saying today and maybe take notes and remember some of it, it will be a great help to you. Uh, it's very likely you know someone who believes in speaking in tongues. You may have been in a church like that. You may have believed in that. Maybe you thought you spoke in tongues. Uh, this is hopefully going to be helpful to you. Um, I've tried to put together an argument that you would present to somebody. And uh, if you've watched the Strange Fire conference years ago, you're going to hear some similarities there as well. Let me pray and we'll begin our topic. Lord, we want to interpret the word correctly. It is your holy word. It is given to the church. It is given for us to, to, to follow, to apply. And uh, we want to draw the lines where you've drawn the lines. We want to understand uh, these gifts and what they were. And we want to understand uh, your use for them. And Lord, if, if any of these gifts are still in existence today, we do. We want to use them. We want to properly apply them. Lord, but let us not make up our own fancies, our own thoughts, our own opinions. Let us seek the scriptures. Give us wisdom in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, what the Bible says. So we are going to speak in a tongue today. It's called English. And uh, if you uh, haven't heard much about this gift, you may have heard various opinions on it. You probably have an opinion on it. Uh, here's what we don't want to do as Christians. We don't want to just say, well, it says something about it in the Bible. I don't know what it said in the Bible, but it must still exist today. That's not a good argument. It's not a logical argument. It's not a biblical argument. Uh, Apostles are in the Bible. Or do we have apostles today? Uh, Jesus raised the dead in the Bible. Do we have raising of the dead today? And so we need to be careful with that argument and seek a, a more biblical view. What does the Bible say is our first topic to cover? And there's three views. You may have heard the names of these before. Uh, three main views today. These weren't around throughout church history. Cessationist view. Cessationist view was the common view throughout church history, the main view throughout church history. That means that the miraculous gifts have ceased. The miraculous gifts have ceased. And you want to uh, try to pronounce it correctly as cessationist. And it just means that they've ceased. They've stopped. They no longer exist after the time of the apostles, after the time of Scripture being written, after the first century. They had ceased. Uh, this was the common view. Uh, later, a view developed, which I hope to get to today, called the charismatic view. That's the second view. And uh, this is that not only are they still in existence, but that we should seek them and that everybody ought to be speaking in tongues and prophesying, especially speaking in tongues. This is associated with the Pentecostal movement and the uh, second wave of the charismatic movement. And then sort of a subset, really, of the charismatic movement is continuationists. The continuationists. These are people who would line up with the charismatic movement but want to distance from, from more heretical beliefs of the charismatic movement or, or more um, unbiblical I think even the continuationist is unbiblical, but uh, the charismatic would say you have to speak in tongues and you're baptized by the Holy Spirit at a later point after your salvation. The continuationists like John Piper or Wayne Grudem would say, no, no, you don't have to speak in tongues. There's not a second work of uh, the Holy Spirit where you're baptized in the Holy Spirit later. 
Uh, so they would distance themselves from that, but still say that these gifts are present today in the church and that we should seek them, but not everyone has to uh, necessarily do that. So I want to go through six propositions here and back it up with Scripture. We're basically working through Acts. We're going to work through 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 14 uh, today. Too many times, again, people will just say, well, Paul spoke in tongues. He talked about the tongues of angels. And it's just throwing little, little tidbits out there about the doctrine, but not covering it according to Scripture. First proposition, the gift of tongues consisted of authentic foreign languages. That's the key there. No one argues that in Acts, that's what it was. And Acts was the history of the church from the beginning. So when the church starts, no question, and I would argue throughout Scripture, it's authentic foreign languages which the speaker had not previously learned. Again, the gift is closely associated with evangelism. We'll, we'll see that a lot. The content of tongue speech was the mighty deeds of God, specifically with regard to the gospel. So it was people who did not know a language suddenly able to speak that language so that they could evangelize and proclaim the gospel. That's what it is in Acts. No doubt about it. Even Paul indicates that later in 1 Corinthians 14. Is this the way that most of us have maybe heard of or come into contact with tongues? Foreign language used for evangelism. Anybody heard of the, anyone doing that today? Some people have claimed that. Yeah, some. But you know, it, it's usually not uh, used like that. And, and this would be like uh, suddenly I did not know I don't know French, and I came in here, and some French speakers walked in that were unbelievers, and I started speaking fluent French. And, and even that, they probably wouldn't be shocked. They would think I knew French. But if they knew me. And all of a sudden I'm speaking, that would be the gift of tongue. So before we even ask, is it still in existence today? We need to understand, what is it? And it was authentic foreign languages that had not been previously learned. Acts 2, this is where we first see it in the history of the church. You can follow along in your Bible if you can't see these. I know some of these are big passages with small, small font. So it's good to have your Bible in front of you if you're not in the first or second row here. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a, a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So there's a lot we could say about this passage, but to summarize the first three verses, the Holy Spirit came down and, and made a show of it because it was the first time that had happened. We don't expect to see this today when somebody gets saved. Uh, these people are already saved. Uh, Jesus had told them that the Spirit would come after he left. And so this is at Pentecost, just a few days after Jesus had ascended. And the Spirit comes down and it, and it is obvious. It is miraculous. Anytime there's a transition in Scripture, we see miraculous things happen. And in between those times, we don't see miraculous things happen. And there's often not a lot of scripture written about those times. Uh, scripture is written to tell us what God is doing, what God has done, what God is going to do. And uh, some of the in-between gaps, it's not there to fill in for us. But here's the key here. Other tongues, meaning other than what? The tongue that they spoke then. Greek, probably. Hebrew, Aramaic, the, the people of Jerusalem were speaking those languages and suddenly there's other tongues now being spoken. 
And that's shocking. And it's not the gift of hearing. Sometimes people say it's the gift of hearing. That they all spoke, the, the apostles here and, and Christians spoke in Greek or Hebrew, and everybody heard it in their own language. Now that would be the gift of hearing. This is the gift of speaking in tongues. That's what utterance means. It means uh, spoken words, spoken words of God here. So they're, they're being blessed by the Spirit and they're speaking these words out to a group, a large group here. And it, it draws quite a crowd. This is when the 3,000 are saved after this speaking in tongues here. Continuing on in the verse, verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So the Jews had come in from other nations. They were, they were living there either temporarily or permanently once again. And when this sound occurred, this rushing down of, of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, people speaking in tongues, there's a crowd that came together. So we know it's large because 3,000 people are going to be saved. And they were bewildered because each one of them, wherever they were from, they heard these languages being spoken. Each one of them was hearing them speak. So it's a gift of speaking, not hearing. They were hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed, they were astonished. They are saying, why are not all of these who are speaking uh, Galileans? These Galileans don't know. Egyptian, these Galileans don't know Latin, these Galileans don't know uh, Syrian. What is, this, what is this language? And so they ask this question, how do these Galileans know this? They, they realize this is miraculous. How is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? So whatever country we came from and moved back now to Jerusalem, uh, not moved back, but like the, their heritage had come back now to Jerusalem. They were born in other countries, but they were Jews. It's a language, though. No one doubts this. Even the Charismatics today would say, that was a language, Acts is a language. And here, so this establishes the foundation. What is the, what is the gift of speaking in tongues? A language. A language. And not a, uh, a made-up language throwing a bunch of syllables together, but it's a foreign language they did not know. How do we know that? Continuing on in the passage, people were from Parthia. So there were Parthians. There were Medes. There were Elamites. You know, so this might be uh, Persian. Uh, this would be probably uh, some sort of Babylonian dialect. Uh, Parthians, I'm not sure if they spoke something other than Persian. Probably had their own dialect of Persian. Residents of Mesopotamia, Jude, Judea. So this is Hebrew. Uh, Cappadocia, which is up around the um, what we call Turkey today, Pontus on the uh, north side of Turkey, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, uh, which spoke a, a dialect there of um, Coptic, uh, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome who would have spoken Latin, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, uh, Arabs, speaking Arabic. Uh, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So what are they talking about? They're using this gift to speak the mighty deeds of God. What happened in Christ. What God has done in Christ. What the gospel is. And they all continued in amazement. Great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? This interests them. What's going on here? Let's listen to these guys. And then Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved. Continuing on, next time we see tongues is in Acts 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. Why were they so amazed? Why were these Jews, that's what that is right here. 
Why were the Jews amazed? Because the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They got the same gift that we did at Pentecost. Hmm, God's trying to show us something here. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues. There it is, they're speaking with tongues. Now we don't just, we don't just insert what we want in there, right? How do we interpret what that means, speaking in tongues? We go back to the previous place where that was mentioned. What's the previous place it was mentioned? Acts 2. Luke's building, right? In the Gospel of Luke, I don't start out preaching one, one meaning of a word, and then by the time we get to the end of Luke, I said, well, meanings completely change. No, I point back. The whole Gospel of Luke, as I've been preaching through it, is, is often building upon what Jesus has already said. And it's the same here with Luke writing Acts. So he, he points back to Acts 2. They're speaking in tongues and they're exalting God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. See, that's what God's showing them. These, these Gentiles, they got saved the same way you did. Don't think they're separate. Don't try to bring the Mosaic Law and, and try to put them under the Old Covenant. You spoke in tongues at Pentecost. They're speaking in tongues. It's the a, it's a first time a group of Gentiles is saved. And he's saying it's the same salvation. It's the same thing. And, and God proved that through the speaking in tongues. And so the Holy Spirit did the same thing there. And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked him to stay on for a few days. So we see it with the Jews and we see it with the Gentiles. And we don't see it every time somebody is saved. It's just a, three times in Acts is all we see. Again in Acts 19, we have this strange incident here. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So you believed. You tell me you believe, but did you receive the Spirit? Because the Spirit is, is, is showing new groups of people what it means to be saved. And he's He's changing hearts and he's saving people. And they say, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So they've heard a little bit. They believe what they've heard, but they haven't truly been saved. They haven't truly been saved. And he says, then how are you baptized in the Spirit if you've not heard of him? Right? Into what were you baptized? Right? Is this some sort of false God? How, How were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. John the Baptist. Remember what did John teach? Repent for the Lord is coming. Repent for the Messiah is coming. That's, that's what they know. And, and they don't have a problem with that. And so they say into John's baptism. And Paul says, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him. That is Jesus. So now he obviously would have told them of Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So what's happening here is this is a new group, right? This is a new group. And he's taken it now to these Gentiles in Ephesus. But what's interesting about this group is they're kind of, they think they're saved, but they're not. They've heard a little bit of the gospel, but not all of it. They're looking for the one to come, but they haven't heard about him yet. And so, again, a sign saying what? Same salvation has happened at Pentecost. Don't separate these guys out of the Christian faith. This is something new. This is the church. That's it. We have those three times in Acts. All clearly languages. They're speaking in tongues here uh, all the way through Acts. Foreign languages. 
Does that match up with what we see today? All people throw a bunch of syllables together. When they, they really do, they just throw a bunch of syllables. I, I, I don't want to take the time and, and didn't have the speakers here, but I've showed some of the teens in my theology class um, this, this video called uh, Lutheran Satire C-3PO. So you have to watch that. Um, if you're a Star Wars fan especially, it's a little cartoon they put together. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're babbling and C-3PO says, you know, I know a million languages, a billion languages, and that's none of them. <laughs> you're not speaking any language. And they keep saying, well, let's try this. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And, he, and then finally he says, you know, that sounds like Spanish. I think you're just talking in Spanish. And you know Spanish, so that's a funny video. Here, here's what one of the scholars who've looked at uh, recordings of people talking. Glossolalia, that's speaking in tongues. This is uh, from a guy at the University of Toronto, linguistics professor. He said, it consists of strings of meaningless syllables made up of sounds taken from those familiar to the speaker. So it's always things you already know just sort of slammed together to make a sound and, and put together more or less haphazardly. The speaker controls the rhythm, the volume, the speed, and inflection of his speech so that the sounds emerge as a pseudo-language, a fake language, in the form of words and sentences. Glossolalia is language-like because the speaker unconsciously wants it to be language-like. Yet in spite of superficial similarities, glossolalia fundamentally is not a language. So it's just where people are throwing syllables together that they already know to make up some sort of gibberish. But the thing about language is it's, it's methodical. It can be understood. And so what people can do is study it. And these linguistic scholars can just study it and say, it has no similarities to any languages anywhere in the world. And so they, they will then resort to saying, well, these people will say it's an angelic language. We'll come to that. Proposition number two. The gift of tongues is given to select individuals by the Holy Spirit. And it's not everyone that's expected or even could speak in tongues. This would go against Pentecostal belief that everyone must speak in tongues. Or the charismatic belief, the second wave charismatics. You have to speak in tongues. Anybody ever been to Assemblies of God or maybe a Pentecostal church where they did that? And if you, you know, when people actually get saved in those churches, uh, I think sometimes these churches do have the gospel. They get saved and, and they're just, they keep dunking this guy, right? You better speak in tongues. Don't come out of the water. And we laugh at that, but I've heard true stories where they just keep getting, just keep getting baptized until you come up. And so eventually I've heard people tell me, I just made something up because I wasn't going back in that water. You know, I feel like I'm going to drown going down so much. Not everyone, even in the Bible, is said to have to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given the spirit of wisdom. So that's one gift. Another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. That's another gift of prophecy. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. See, he's not talking about one angelic tongue. He's saying various kinds of of languages that the person suddenly can speak. But these are just given to certain people at that time. Not everyone spoke in tongues. Paul says it right here because they're having a fight about who's the greatest. And you know what they're saying? Those who speak in tongues are the greatest. That's the gift that you want. That's kind of what we hear today, right? Those who speak in tongues, that's what you have to do. And that was a problem in Corinth. And Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's not right. First of all, everybody gets different gifts. Everybody gets different gifts. 
And God distributes them to each one individually. So we shouldn't expect that of everyone. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27-31. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church, and he goes through this list, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. They're not all apostles, though, are they? And stop being jealous. Not everybody becomes an apostle. Not everybody becomes a prophet. Not everybody becomes a teacher. Not everybody's a worker of miracles. And all do not have gifts of healings. And all do not speak in tongues. So we know that doctrine is not even... Even if you were to say tongues still exist today, right here Paul's clearly saying not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's going to give it. And not everybody should interpret or has that ability. But then he says, desire the greater gifts. And he's going to show them by chapter 14 what that greater gift is. All right, so here's the passage that is usually um, sort of the, f- the big argument that people use. Well, that's nice that you're saying, Pastor, that Acts is all about foreign languages. I agree. And maybe Paul's talking about that in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, but not here, right? Because we have tongues of men and angels. There it is. Done. It's all done, right, Frank? Nothing else needs to be said? Don't we need to study the context of the passage? So we just moved out of chapter 12, okay? He didn't make it real clear to us what tongues are, but who, who does Paul take along on his journeys that later ends up writing a major part of the New Testament? Luke. Luke goes with Paul. Luke's traveling with Paul and he's interviewing people and he's writing the Gospel of Luke and he's writing the book of Acts, all under Paul's supervision. Do you think that Paul would know what Luke was writing about Acts Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19? And so when Paul does write 1 Corinthians, which comes out, by the way, it gets written before Luke and Acts, but Paul doesn't want to confuse people. He's not going to introduce a new meaning for tongues without explaining it. He could introduce another meaning for tongues if he wants. He's writing under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But he's got to tell us or we won't know. And he just assumes everybody who reads it knows what he's talking about. So we get to 1 Corinthians 13. Tongues of men. Now I'm going to argue that in 14 it becomes very clear he's talking about other languages. Uh, man, man-made languages, languages of the world. But let's just take this verse in context here. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. So look what he's doing here. All mysteries and all knowledge. Did Paul know all mysteries? Who's the only person who knows everything? God. So he obviously he doesn't know all knowledge. And if I have all faith, Paul prayed for others. And he he prayed that others would pray for him. He asked and wrote letters that others would pray for him and pray for his faith that he would remain strong. He did not have all the faith that's possible for a person to have. So as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, he had a few things. Later he tells Timothy, bring the books, bring my cloak. He didn't give every single thing away. If I surrendered my body to be burned, did he do that? He hadn't done that. And he doesn't. Um, But it profits me nothing if I don't have love. So what's he doing here? What, What kind of argument is he making here? If I have the greatest and most wonderful things, 
these tongues that you guys build up so much, and even some hypothetical tongues of angels. But I don't have love. And I'm a, I'm a noisy gong. What's he doing here? It's a hyperbole. It's an argument of hyperbole. Right? If I brag that I'm the greatest husband in the world, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. Right? I'm just a noisy gong. If you brag that you're the greatest mom in the world, and you will do anything for your child, but you can't do the most basic things for them, then it's pointless. See, it's a hyperbole argument. Right? And we, we get other uh, indications of that here. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal, this kind of symbolic imagery here to remove mountains. Who has all the faith to literally remove mountains? The, his point is love here has got to be the ultimate. Stop bragging about your gift of tongues. Stop bragging about your gifts of prophecy. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter what gifts God has given you. That's the point. He's not, he's not writing a dissertation on these angels. right? Even if there is a tongues of angels... Who knows what it is? Every time angels show up in the Bible, they speak what? Angelic language? They speak... What do they speak? English, yeah. <laughs> King James English. So either there is an angelic language and no one knows it and no one could know it, and how would you even know if someone is speaking in it? And remember, what's it used for in Acts? Evangelism. What's Paul going to talk about in, in chapter 14 here? evangelism. So, okay, I'm going to go speak in the tongues of angels and evangelize people. It doesn't work. How does that, they don't even know. That's crazy. He's going to, he's going to even say, if you speak in foreign languages you don't know and people just suddenly walk into the church service, they're going to think you're crazy. So imagine if they hear some language that's angelic. I, I think he's using hyperbole. A lot of scholars make that argument here. He's comparing one to the other here. All right, here's proposition number three, the gift of tongues was never intended to be the hallmark of the church or its most prestigious gift. So we already covered, number two, that it wasn't for everyone. Number three, though, it never was supposed to be the gift, the most prestigious thing. It's an evangelic, uh, evangelistic blessing. It's not meant to be the super gift that everyone uh, often tries to make it out to be today. Do you guys get that one? Proposition three. I'll leave it up for a second, but we're going to look now at first, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, pretty much the whole chapter. And that's Paul's argument now. He's, he's already covered people get various gifts in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, love is the most important thing you can do. It's not about the gifts. And now in chapter 14, he's going to go and address this issue of tongues. A little bit on prophecy, but really on tongues. There's this big issue, and he's got to address it. And he's going to work through this section uh, of his letter dealing with that. So coming off of chapter 13, pursue love. Remember, they didn't have chapters when he wrote it, so it's just a continuous letter. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So he says, look, it's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts. Uh, And I would argue in that day they were all available to a person, so you can want to have them, but especially that you may prophesy. So that's where he's going to go by the end of this chapter. Prophecy is the most important gift. If you want to lift one up, it's really prophecy. Why? Because prophecy is the word of God coming directly through the prophet to the people. They didn't have the Bible then. Right? They may have had Galatians, but not all the churches would have Galatians. They may have had James, but not all the churches would have James. 
They've got the Old Testament, and then God is speaking through prophets of that day to reveal new things and to teach what Jesus had taught the apostles that hadn't been written down yet. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't get written down until after Paul writes some of these letters like 1 Corinthians. So desire prophecy because that's the word of God coming through you and it's perfect and it's pure. Tongues, you know, it has its place, but it's not the most important. The word of God is of more importance. So for one speaks in a tongue. For the one who speaks in a tongue, he doesn't speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Well, there we go. We can all go home and now speak to ourselves in tongues, right? That doesn't fit with Acts, because in Acts they're speaking to other people. And by the time you get to uh, the end of this chapter, he's talking about using it to speak to other people. So what's he saying here? Well, the one who speaks in tongues, the idea is without an interpreter. Who's he talking to? If there's no interpreter, or if he doesn't have, he'll, he'll say later, you should ask for the gift of interpretation too, if you speak in tongues. Because if you don't have an interpreter, who understands you? You can come into the church, and all this is about coming into the church. right? It's not about going home. None of this is going home and doing it in private. It doesn't say that at all. It's all about, right here, the church at the end of verse 5. The church, or verse 4, I think. It's about edifying the church. That's coming up in a minute. But the, the idea here is, if you speak in a tongue, and you have that gift, okay, that's great, but without an interpreter, and if you can't interpret, who are you talking to, essentially? Who's going to understand that language? Only God. He's the only one you're talking to. You, you'll brag about tongues, but when you come to the church and there's no interpretation, you're just talking to God. You don't speak to men. Prophecy, though, is God speaking through somebody directly to men and women in the church. That's a better gift. The one who prophesies, see? The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, for exhortation, and for consolation. The one who speaks in tongue edifies himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. You speak in tongues without an interpreter, you're just, yeah, you exercised your gift, so you got some, some little bit of edification. But what good does that do, right? What good does that do? What good does it do if I come up here on Thursday morning and preach a sermon and there's nobody here? It might, it might help me practice. It might help the Word of God get in my head. So it edifies me just a little bit. It doesn't really edify anyone else because you're not here, right? That's not an exact parallel, but you can kind of see the picture. A guy who speaks in tongues or a woman who speaks in tongues is, is not blessing anyone if there's not an interpreter. But prophecy, he says, is better, and that's his proof for it. Now I wish that all you spoke in tongues. I mean, that, you know, that would be great if we all had these gifts. But that's not the case. He's already told us not everybody gets that. But even more that you would prophesy. The word of God going out to the church, that's a better gift, right? Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless he interprets. Now if you've got an interpreter, all that changes, Paul says. And tongues is much better. Still not better than prophecy, but it's a, it's a better uh, than not being interpreted at all. Because when you have an interpreter, the church may receive edifying. This idea of going home in your closet and speaking in a prayer language, that's not what he's saying. The tongues was for evangelism. And if you're going to come to the church and try to evangelize some visitors, you need to have an interpreter. Or it's not edifying anyone else. And believers aren't going to be edified by what you say. And especially unbelievers, they don't even understand what you're saying unless they can hear that language. But 
other believers in the church can't even be edified by it. Because even when you're evangelizing, you're edifying believers, right? If, if Frank, well, when Frank evangelizes today in his sermon, because I'm sure he'll say something about Christ. When I preach on Friday the cross, when I preach on next Sunday the resurrection, right? And, and, and visitors come in. Well, that's great. We want them to hear the message. But I'm preaching to the church, which should be made up of believers. And so that evangelistic message should still edify believers. And that's what he's getting at here, right? Even though speaking in tongues has its primary purpose of evangelism, it should edify believers as well as they hear that message interpreted. Number four, the purpose of the gifts within the church is to edify the body. So we just saw that. We'll see more of it here. But tongues is not interpreted, uh, but tongues not interpreted does not profit the body because it cannot be understood. I just sort of hammered that. We'll see more of what Paul has to say here. All spiritual gifts are given to individuals in the church for the sake of serving others. There is no personal spiritual gift that was just meant for you to do it at home by yourself with no one else being served, including this gift of tongues that existed. It is not for your own prayer time. It is for edifying others, as all gifts are. 1 Corinthians 14, 6-11. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or a prophecy of teaching? So even if I came to speak to you in tongues and you don't understand it, it's not going to profit you unless I give you a revelation directly from God in, in the language you understand. Or of, of knowledge. or prof- All these are basically uh, prophesying right here. And then this teaching, we would just know, that's Paul's teaching. That's what he knows that he's received from Christ that he's going to teach. So if I come to you, you better want the word of God, in other words. Either directly reveal at that moment through Paul, who has the gift of prophecy, or teaching the church something he learned when he was spending time with the resurrected Christ. That's it. Speaking in tongues is great, but it's not going to profit you unless I give you something directly. Yet even lifeless things. Now, here again, he's pointing to the fact that we're expecting a, a sound, a language coming out of someone's mouth. Because he's going to start using these analogies. And listen, even lifeless things, flute or harp, and producing a sound, if they don't produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? If you go to a concert, let's say a symphony, and everybody's just making a a big mess of the sound, right? Gibberish, gibberish in musical methods. What what good is that? That's not even music, right? what's What's he saying here? If you just get together and start speaking, and it doesn't make sense to anybody, nobody knows what you're saying. It doesn't do anything. It's, there's nothing to it. If the bugle plays a, a very distinct sound to, to tell them it's time for battle, well, it has to do that so they know it's time for battle because if it doesn't, if it's just sort of a note that no one knows, is it time to eat or is it time to go fight? What do they do in ancient warfare? You know, is it time to get up? Or does that mean we're being attacked? I can't understand what the bugler is doing. And so, again, more indication here in the middle here that he is talking about a language that should be understood. 
And it won't be understood if there's no interpreter, of course. So it'll just sound like gibberish. And another indication, we don't want to sound like gibberish. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. Look at that, an illustration about languages. That one is not the typical word for tongue. See, tongues just means either the organ in your body or human language. This one, and I forget what the Greek word is here, but this one is not glossa. It's a different idea. And, and he even says many kinds in the world. Not angelic, but many kinds in the world. And no kind of languages without meaning. No kind of language. What is it? Phono. Yeah, phone, phone, yeah. Many kinds of sounds in the world. Ideas, languages. So this is, that's why it's not translated as tongues here. And no kinds without meaning. Every language in the world has a meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So if John comes and he speaks Russian to me, and I don't know Russian, I mean, he just, he sounds like a barbarian. I don't even know what he's saying. And he can be passionate. And he can be like proclaiming the gospel to me. But if I don't know Russian, it doesn't make sense, right? Because languages are meant to be understood. And if I can't understand it, 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 it might as well be gibberish, barbarian talk, right? Again, what's the illustration? It's all about human languages here. Okay, proposition number five. The ideal use of the gifts is the edification of the church. Tongues that are not interpreted do not edify the church and are therefore not ideal. We're just coming back to what he's already said, but he continues with this argument here. You know, Paul often comes back to things and keeps reminding the church and keeps reminding us. The ideal use. Yeah, it's not the, the hallmark most prestigious gift to speak in tongues. We shouldn't even expect everybody to do it. And it's for edification. And then even then, it's not the ideal use without an interpreter. So there is some benefit, he says, without an interpreter, but it's only for you and not for the church. And you're just talking to God. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. You're zealous. You're, you're so passionate about these gifts. But are you edifying the church, he's saying? Are you seeking to abound? Really really grow in your edification of the church. Continuing on in 13 through 19. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he might interpret. Oh, that would be great if you can interpret. So pray that you also have the gift of interpretation. Uh, also a kind of a tidbit here that you can have a gift, but not realize it. So Frank can have the gift of preaching, but or teaching, teaching and preaching, but he doesn't realize it for some time before it gets exercised, before it gets used, before it gets put out there and, and developed. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? So there, there, he says, even if I was to sit down and pray, or not sit down, they, they would stand up and pray out loud to everybody. If I pray in a tongue out loud, my spirit prays, in other words, not the Holy Spirit, but my mind, uh, mind versus spirit, right? The heart prays to God. But my mind's unfruitful because I don't know what I said. It's in another language. What's the outcome then? I'll pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the mind also. I'll sing with the Spirit 
right? The, the idea is the inner being, the heart. And I was seeing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the Amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? So this last part is speaking here again of unbelievers. The ungifted, right? Who's the one who comes into the church and he's not gifted by, with the Holy Spirit? He, 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 he doesn't know what you're saying. Or even a believer in the church who doesn't have the gift of interpretation. How can they say amen to what you just said? Nobody knows what you said. Nobody can, even if you give thanks to God, he doesn't know what you're saying. So pray for the gift of interpretation. If there's not an interpreter in the church, we're in trouble. Better to not say anything because nobody knows what's going on, Paul says. This, this disorderly, gibberish, falling on the floor kind of stuff we see today, it wouldn't even work in Corinth, which was one of the most disorderly churches of that day. Paul says, don't do that. Don't, don't be disorderly. And I don't think they were falling on the floor barking like dogs. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. You give thanks to God in your tongue, right? You speak, you speak in, you know, John, if I say come up here and tell everybody uh, a prayer and you start speaking in Russian, nobody knows what you said. We don't even know if we should say amen to that or was that heresy, right? What was that? What was going on there? I'm not edified. No one's edified unless they know Russian. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul says, look, I go evangelize and speak in tongues everywhere. So he has the gift of tongues too. Paul has, the apostles I think had all the, the gifts. However, in the church, I go out there and speak in tongues everywhere. When I come into the church with you guys, the churches I've helped plant, the churches of Christ that are worshiping, I desire to speak five words with my mind to instruct, to teach, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. I, I, it's great when I speak in tongues. It builds me up, and I'm proclaiming the gospel to these people who don't know uh, the gospel, but when I come into the church, I'm just showing off. If I start speaking in these tongues of other languages, no one understands what I'm saying because they don't know that language. But if I speak five words with my mind, five words of prophecy from God, five words from Scripture, in other words, we would say today, that's way better. That's way better than 10,000 words in a tongue that nobody understands. How can we be edified if they don't understand it? Continuing on here, 20 through 28, Paul affirms the close association of tongue speech. This is just a, a comment here. He's going to, again, associate it with evangelism. And he also is going to link it to the fact that it's authentic foreign languages. Here's why. He's going to cite Isaiah 28, 11. I mean, this, is a, this is a, puts the nail in the coffin that tongues in, in 1 Corinthians are in an angelic language because he's going to cite Isaiah 28, 11. The idea that tongues is gibberish, this passage, it's already, I think, he's been building to this. But this is clear. Brethren, don't be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Stop being a baby, in other words. I'll interpret there for him. Stop being a baby. This speaking in tongues thing is silly. You, you guys aren't even doing it right. It's a gift God has given at that time for the church. But he says, look, you're not, you're not doing it right. Be mature. And he says, listen, here's, here's, in the law it is written. So this is Isaiah 28.11. It's interesting that he, he calls it the law, but we don't have time to discuss that. Uh, By the men of strange tongues, 
And by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What's going on there? What's Isaiah prophesying about? Babylonians are going to come. They're going to take people away. They're going to capture them. And they're going to, the Babylonians speak in a strange tongue. Angelic language? No, what do Babylonians speak? Babylonian or, or Aramaic later. But uh, they speak a language that's a human language. And the lips of strangers. God's going to use them to speak by, by judging Israel. And even then, they're not going to listen. And so he says, you know what Isaiah was doing? Isaiah was telling us that tongues are for what? A sign. Tongues are for a sign. God uses tongues specifically to indicate a sign. He did it in Acts multiple times to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to these sort of people who were almost converted there with John's baptism. He did it in Isaiah's day when he said the Babylonians are going to come and take them away. Uh, they're not, they don't have the gift of tongues, but he's saying tongues are used for a sign. A sign for what? Not to those who believe. Yeah, we can be edified if it's interpreted, Paul says. But the primary purpose is a sign, and it's not a sign for those who believe, but for what? Unbelievers. So take your Pentecostal or charismatic friend who speaks in tongues. Let's take them down to UTSA and say, evangelize the people now with your gift of tongues. And if they start speaking gibberish, nobody can understand it there with all these international students. Well, they didn't even follow what happened here in 1 Corinthians 14 because it's a sign for unbelievers. A sign, wow, just like in Acts 2. Wow, they're speaking in the same language as I can understand. I know what it is. Wow, that's amazing. I'm going to listen to this guy. But prophecy is a sign. So turn it around now. The words of God, prophecy, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. So translating it to today with a cessationist view, which I'll get to in a moment. Translating it to today, we should focus on the word of God and not tongues. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? Again, you're up there speaking in Russian, John. And we're all together. We're at the church. Let's say everybody is speaking in a language that they did not know before. John already knows Russian, so that's not even the gift of tongues, right? That's just natural learning. What language do you not know, John? Hmm? Mandarin? John doesn't know Mandarin. John's speaking in Mandarin. Right? Forrest is speaking Russian. German. You already know German. Uh, Autumn is speaking in Latvian. Right? Haley speaking, you know, just down the line. Everybody's speaking. And here comes people who are ungifted, meaning they don't have the gift of what? Interpretation. Um, this is probably believers that are coming in and they don't know what you're saying because they can't interpret it. And even if unbelievers enter, what are they going to think? Somebody's coming through town and they stop off at Grace Bible Church and they come in here, everybody talking in a different language all at once. They're going to think you're mad. In other words, you're crazy, right? And we have seen worse craziness than this. If you watched any clips on the internet about people speaking gibberish, right? 
Paul says we don't want the church to be seen as crazy. I mean, let people think we're crazy because we believe in Jesus, the resurrected Lord, but not this kind of silliness. All right. Um, Got to pick up the pace. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all. So if he prophesies, hey, that's good, you know. We could all speak the word of God to somebody. And he's called to account by all. So the unbeliever or the person who doesn't have any gifts of interpretation, man, that's helpful to hear the word of God because he's called to account. He's convicted. The secrets of his heart are disclosed because God's word is pressing in on his heart. And he, so he's going to fall on his face and he's going to worship God and he's going to declare that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things, though, be done for edification. That's the point. Again, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. So again, he's, he's underscoring just with this little bit on prophecy, which I hope to get to next week. He's underscoring the fact that not everyone in the congregation is expected to speak in tongues. And that the gift of tongues is used in the local church is for the purpose of edification. Last proposition here, six. The gift of tongues, if used in church, was to be used in an orderly manner. If, if you haven't seen that the modern tongue-speaking movement doesn't follow the first five propositions, certainly I think this one is not followed. And just pull up videos online. You can see this disorder, this falling around, barking, uh, these kind of weird, almost demonic-looking jerks of people as they're, as they're speaking. If anyone speaks in a tongue, Paul says, it should be by two or three at the most, and each person in turn. Let's have some order. And one must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So I know somebody who said they went to a charismatic church and they're all speaking in tongues. And so as she's leaving, she says, Pastor, I'm just wondering if there were any interpreters here today. And he said, it was great to see you, ma'am. Have a nice day. And that was it. There's no interpreters. Because there couldn't be, right? How do you even know what a person is saying? If it's not a language, it's understandable. So that's, that's what Paul teaches us in, in the Corinthian church. Uh, what about in church history, though? Does this gift continue? Has it stopped? Has it ceased? I, I think we could just argue from the scriptures on this. That's the primary argument I would make. First of all, what happens today isn't what he described. So... Whether it exists today or not, what people are doing isn't what happened in the Bible. And since apostleship didn't continue, it's okay to say some of these other gifts didn't continue. We can make that argument. But let's just look at church history. I mean, we're not the first Christians. God didn't remove his Holy Spirit for 2,000 years, and then suddenly in America today, all these Christians are saved, and nothing happened for 2,000 years in the church. There's a history. So the first guy to write a lot about this, um, or not a lot, but just to mention it in his writings. John Chrysostom, the golden mouth, the one who's a, a famous preacher in Constantinople for the Roman Empire in the late 300s. I mean, this guy would know. If there's tongue speaking going on in the Roman Empire, he's going to know about it. He's either going to be for it or against it. And he says this whole place, talking about this passage here that we just covered, and its treatment of tongues. It's very obscure. It's hard to understand, he says. 
And it is, even though I just went through it. We could go further and it gets harder and harder to, to, to really interpret. You have to work a lot at it. But the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their cessation. What's cessation mean, Brandon? Stop. It ceased. That's a doctrine made up by Reformed people in the 1900s, right? John Chrysostom, late 300s, he writes this. They have ceased at his day. He says they don't exist. Being such as they used to occur, but now no longer take place. Now, back in those days and even today, if something could exist and maybe existed, it was built up and it, was, it, was, it would have been a great thing. The Catholic Church later that develops is going to use that against the Reformers because they're going to say, you Reformers have no miracles, but we have lots of miracles. You can go over here and see a statue crying. You can go over here and touch the bone of a saint and be healed. We have all these miracles. What do you have to back it up? So they were, they were elevating their, their so-called miracles as a way to prove things. Well, you can imagine in Chrysostom's day, if people could do these things, that would have been a big deal. That would, they were already at this time sort of starting to, to use images in their worship and to, to go in strange ways. I think that would have been more uh, mentioned if it was taking place. Augustine, a generation uh, later, after Chrysostom, uh, he still lived during overlapping time period. In the earliest times, he says, the Holy Ghost fell upon them that believed, and they spake in tongues. They spoke in tongues, which they had not learned. So what does he say the gift of tongues is? Something they had not learned. It was an unlearned human language, and the Spirit gave them utterance. So he quotes from Acts 2. These were signs adapted to the time, for there behooved to be that betokening of this. So the Spirit gave this, this token of the Holy Spirit in all tongues to show that the gospel of God was to run through all tongues over the world, that the thing was done for a sign, and it passed away, it ceased. Augustine says it stopped, it's no longer in existence, and it was just there for a sign, it was there for a time, and he even says it's a sign to indicate God's going to take the gospel to all languages. Martin Luther, so skipping forward now, I just selected a few, oh, there's, there's a lot. Look at uh, Strange Fire, if you don't have it, pick up the book in the appendix, they give a lot more quotes. Uh, Paul explained the purpose of these miraculous gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Once the church had been established and properly advertised by these miracles, so again, the idea is it proclaimed that the, the, the gospel, the visible appearance of the Holy Ghost ceased. Not that the Holy Spirit stopped, but the visible appearance, the fact that you could see something happen that's miraculous, like tongues and prophecy and healing. He says that stopped, that ceased. This isn't a modern teaching here. John Calvin, the gift of tongues and other such like things are ceased. Again, that same word, ceased long ago in the church. We certainly see that the use of their, their use ceased not long after the apostolic age, or at least instances of them were so rare after the apostles that we may gather they were not equally common to all ages. So at some point they've stopped. Calvin doesn't say necessarily at the apostles, but not long after. Yet those who come after them, that they might not allow it to be supposed that they were entirely destitute of miracles. So people later want to say, hey, I've got miracles too. He says, those people were led by foolish avarice and ambition to forge themselves miracles which had no reality. They're just making up stuff to say you should listen to them. And he goes on and gets a little stronger here. Thus was the door opened for the impostures of Satan. 
Not only that delusions might be substituted for truth, but that under the pretense of miracles, the simple might be led aside from the truth. Wow, we see that today, right? Hey, I've got this miracle. Come over here. Come, come join us. We do this. This is way better. You don't know if you're saved or not. You have a lack of assurance. Hey, come join us. And you're going to see some signs and you will experience them and know that you're saved. Calvin says in his day, even that was happening. Certainly it was proper that men of eager curiosity who not satisfied with lawful proof were every day asking new miracles. They should be carried away by such. A, so he says, look, they're going to be carried away by that. This is the reason why Christ another passage, foretold that the reign of Antichrist would be of full of lying signs. And Paul makes a similar declaration. Better watch out for signs. Better watch out for miracles because they can mislead you if they're not real. John Owen, the dispensation of the Spirit is long ago since ceased. And where it now pretended unto by any, it may justly be suspected as the enthusiastic delusion. Just people getting carried away and they're deluded. And he's not being mean. He's just saying, that's the testimony of church history. Charles Spurgeon, the remaining works of the Holy Spirit, which are at this time vouchsafed to the church of God, are in every way as valuable as these earlier miraculous gifts which have departed from us. So he says, don't get upset that we don't have tongues and prophecy and healing. The gifts that are, that are still with us, they're, they're vouchsafed. They're saved for us. They're, they're still of great use. The work of the Holy Spirit by which men are quickened from their death to, in sin. It's not inferior to the power which made men in the past speak with tongues. Getting saved today is the greatest miracle. And that is the Holy Spirit's awesome work. And we should be happy with that and not say, let's speak in tongues to prove it. So I'm out of time, but I have so much good historical information here on when did this all start then? When did this all start? I got two, I got a minute and I'm going to go. When did the modern phenomenon of speaking in tongues start? Okay, I'm going to go quick. The original Pentecostals under the leadership of Charles Fox Parham considered the gift of tongues to refer only to real authentic foreign languages. This guy started the Pentecostal movement. You know what he said? The gift of tongues is speaking in real foreign languages. No one said it was an angelic tongue. This was in a Topeka State Journal 1901, the Lord will give us the power of speech to talk to the people of the various nations without having to study them in schools. We can send out missionaries all over the world and they don't have to learn the language. No language school. Guess what? They all came back failures. They did. And then they said, that's not going to work. We've got to change our doctrine. By the way, a little local history. He got arrested in San Antonio in 1906 uh, for committing indecent acts with another man. Eventually he was released, but the news got out and his ministry was ruined. So his partner takes it to California then and continues the Pentecostal movement there at Azusa Street. Here's a book by two Pentecostals. These guys are charismatics here. Sadly, the idea of speaking in foreign language, you know, glossolalic tongues, speaking foreign languages, would later prove an embarrassing failure as Pentecostal workers went off to the mission fields with their gift of tongues and found their hearers did not understand them. So, well, if it's not foreign languages, what is it? Well, before they changed it to angelic languages, this was the guy, Parham's tongue speaker. He would set up these big tents in Kansas, and then he came to Texas and Oklahoma later. Big tents in Kansas, and tent revivals going on. Everybody's coming out. And uh, these are, Parham was a Methodist. The Methodists were always looking for the holiness movement to really take off. And suddenly this woman is speaking in some tongue. 
Her name was Agnes Osman. She was one of Parham's students, the first to speak in tongues on January 1st, 1901. So if we're to believe this, there was nobody speaking in tongues except a few heretics between the time of the apostles to her in 1901. She reportedly spoke in the Chinese language, thereby launching the Pentecostal movement. Osman also claimed to write in Chinese. So they published it in the paper, and they asked people to come and translate it to new Chinese. Because there were a lot of Chinese coming into America, working on the railroads. Anybody know Chinese? That's not Chinese. <laughs> and they all said it's not Chinese. So you've got these people coming back that are failures around the world in their missions because they don't know the language. They never were trained. You've got this coming out in the newspaper. And so they made a decision not too long after this to say, well, it's not foreign languages. It's a language we don't understand. It's an angelic language. So that was the first wave of the charismatic movement. The first, uh, they, then they now refer to it as waves. The first wave was the birth of Pentecostalism, 1901 and 1909. And I'll just stop here reading the LA Times here. It, it gets taken out to LA. So in 1906, Parham gets arrested here and his ministry tanks, but his, his friend who had been with them, uh, I think his name was Seymour, I can't remember the, if that was his first or last name, but he takes it to the Azusa Street Revival. That's what's going to come about, right? He's going to go to Azusa Street, and that's where a lot of the names in, in L.A. come from for Azusa, but he takes it there, and he has this great revival. And look what the L.A. Times says. Weird babble of tongues. You see that? New sect of fanatics is breaking loose. Wild scene last night as Azusa Street. Uh, gurgle of word, wordless talk by a suitor. What is it, sister? Oh, okay, you can see it better up there. Gurgle of wor wordless talk. Interesting. So that goes to Azusa Street, and it's just Pentecostals who supposedly speak in tongues for almost 60 years. No other Christians even want to touch it, for 60 years. Then it's going to come over into the mainline churches. Then it's going to come over into the evangelical churches. I'll pick up next week on that, and we'll do a little bit on prophecy. But I think you're getting the idea of gifts. We don't have to cover as much on prophecy. If you have a question on tongues, be glad to answer it right now after class. Uh, there should be more time next week to ask questions about this. Lord, I'm grateful for what your word has to teach us, and, and also what these saints of church history have taught us, all these believers. They have indeed um, informed us of what was going on in their day and pointed us back to Scripture. Help us to follow the Word of God in all things. It is your Word. It is precious. We love it. Give us insight into how to apply it today. In Jesus' name, amen.